You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Tuesday, January 26, 2021, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Hedge Fund Telemetry's Tom Thornton. But first, with the day's stories, Haley Drasnan. Hey, Ash. Markets were relatively flat on Tuesday. The S&P 500 pulled back from its record intraday high. It's an earnings-packed day. Larger companies with an impact on all indices supported the market today. And we have earnings reports from Microsoft, which we'll see after the close. GE, though, flashing a buy signal. Their shares jumped today after their industrial free cash flow came in better than expected for the fourth quarter. Verizon shares, however, fell as it added fewer wireless subscribers than expected. And tomorrow, big tech names like Apple, Facebook, and Tesla will all report earnings, but wild swings resumed Tuesday on these heavily shorted stocks. This was after yesterday's much-talked-about volatile session, and as of this recording, GameStop is up almost 40%, and AMC Entertainment, having opened up over 20%, is now close to flat on the day. Bed Bath & Beyond is also a heavily shorted stock, too. In short, no pun intended, retail investors, you know, those millennial Robin Hooders we keep talking about, are active in Reddit chat rooms like Wall Street Bets and betting against short selling hedge funds. They are almost certainly playing with fire as they bid up some of the misfits of the market. Meanwhile, Janet Yellen is officially confirmed as the 78th U.S. Treasury Secretary and first female to ever hold the post. We saw Treasury yields edged slightly higher after this was announced, and this was even despite concerns about the potential opposition in Congress to President Biden's proposed $1.9 trillion stimulus package. And I'll end on this. The IMF is more upbeat about the global economy as vaccines continue to be administered, but they're still worried that the risk of the new COVID variants could possibly affect the global economic recovery. They published their World Economic Outlook today and expect the global economy to grow 5.5% this year, and that's up uh, from October's forecast. It sees global GDP even expanding by 4.2% in 2022. Back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Hallie. Welcome back, Tom. Hey, Ash, how are you? I'm doing well. We got you back on a pretty wild day in markets. So GameStop, Wall Street, uh, Bets, Reddit, what do you make of all this? What's going on? Somebody just uh, sent me a chart someone made that it showed it you know, going straight up and it said small cap, mid cap, large cap. And uh, you know something? Uh, 
I will, I've, you know, working in the hedge fund world, uh, you had to be very conscientious of uh, your short, the short interest against you. And, uh, you know, these uh, professionals, and I know a couple of them, uh, really got taken out yesterday and maybe a couple today. So the Wall Street Bets people, uh, kudos to you. you. You've done a great job jamming a stock higher that has no business going higher, no business being a $10 billion company. Uh, this company was almost bankrupt uh, about a year ago. So it's just it's just wild speculative action that, uh, you know, I, I wish I bought it at four bucks like Michael Burry and just sat there and um, went on a vacation and didn't look at my screens and phone. And but you can't do that. You yeah. can't look back. You know, I think it's interesting. Some of the analysts, I think, are missing kind of the behavioral drivers for this. You've got a bunch of young guys in their 20s right now stuck at home. They're saddled with student debt. They can't get out into the real world uh, to get uh, to get the job opportunities that they want because of this terrible pandemic. They can't even go out with their buddies on a weekend and sit at a bar and drink beer and blow off steam. So what, what do they do? They're sitting here. They're watching this happen. There's 151 or 152% short interest in this trade versus the float. So it's massively overshorted. They see this opportunity, and they've got a couple of the big guys at hedge funds by the lapels, and they are just shaking them. And they are having a blast doing it. And look, if I were 25 years old, I'd probably be right there with them. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, you know, Gabe Plotkin at, at Melvin Capital is one of the smartest hedge fund guys out there. Has one of the best records out there. He was up 50 percent last year. And he just got taken out and was bailed out by Steve Cohen or Uncle Steve, as uh, Mets fans uh, call him, and Ken Griffin. So it's, you know, it can happen to anybody. And, you know, this whole dynamic of all the Wall Street bets and, you know, the Barstool Sports, uh, Dave, it's this all started in the spring. So these traders have made a lot of money. They're emboldened, which is really maybe one of the worst things that you could have when you're trading stocks. You don't want to be overconfident. You don't want to be like, it's just money. I can hold on. I, you know, it, it can all end immediately. And let's remember, it's pretty easy to sign up for a brokerage account these days. And you don't have to talk to anybody. You go on your phone, you, you know, put $5,000 in Robinhood. Uh, they'll give you margin on that within a few clicks. And then you can go start trading options. In the old days, I think a few years back, you needed to have compliance approval. You had to have the know your, you know, your customer approval. Now it's just like, woo, let's go. It's a video game. And, you know, one thing I will say, and I noticed it today, I have I I do short stocks and I do recommend shorting stocks. Most of my stocks that I'm short and they, they, it's been pretty tough. They've been working over the last few days. And I feel like the shiny object of GME has taken away from Carvana or Lululemon. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Uh, I, I was short beyond. Uh, Beyond Meat, and I covered that like last couple of weeks ago at like 125, and I thought I really wanted to get it under 120, but I'm pretty happy. It went up to 220 today, and then it faded. But I feel like everybody is focused on GME and a few others there, and and in Wall Street bets, they're they're saying please stay focused, stay focused on this one stock, and they did a great job today. I mean, they yeah. they took it from 
a level I didn't think that they would, uh, you know, get this thing moving. And you had the Winklevoss, one of the Winklevoss brothers said, should he buy it? And, you know, others that were saying they were going to buy it. And Shamoff came yeah, up I mean, for a couple hundred on the options. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he bought 50 contracts. And great, he crushed it. Okay, that's fantastic. But it's just like the... The problem I see is it's emboldened people, even people like him, that um, think that anything they do, you know, will go up, and people are have confidence in those players. So it's it's just something that's gonna, you know, it's probably gonna end bad, but you know, we'll see when it, when that happens, and it could happen rather quick, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. You know, you, you have these young guys who are out there and, and they're getting interested in capital markets, which is a great thing. They're getting interested yep. in trading. Uh, but the the risk is, as you said earlier, you know, not everybody has an Uncle Steve to bail them out. Uh, and, uh, you know, for some of these folks, it's probably a lot of money uh, relative to their savings. Uh, and you never know what's going to happen. The thing that I would be most concerned with is a potential regulatory change uh, that could potentially uh, change the way that options uh, get structured. I mean, if you think about during the great financial crisis, uh, we saw SEC uh, making changes, for example, not being able to short on a downtick. Last night, I was actually reading uh, one of the uh, one of the studies uh, on long-term capital management. And ultimately, what really blew up long-term capital management, the proximate cause uh, was that the GSKs, the Russian government bonds, defaulted, LTCM was hedging the position by selling rubles. Uh, and then the Russian banks just said, we're closing the ruble window. And the Russian government, the Russian central bank said, we have to protect our currency, instituted currency controls. The hedge blew up overnight. The moral of the story uh, is when you have hedge funds uh, that employ multiple Nobel laureates in economics, they don't often see the regulatory changes coming when there's a huge change that risks uh, some aspect of the integrity of capital markets or currency markets. You can see yourself getting into some real trouble that way. Oh, absolutely. And you know some of the controls that I could see happening. I mean, look, we have a new SEC chairman, um, Gensler, and I think he's a, a you know going to be an improvement from the last SEC chairman who I, I don't even know if he went to work um, considering the, all the Tesla stuff. But, uh, you know, they could raise margin requirements on some of these speculative stocks. The brokerages, uh, I think we're starting to do that with uh, GME yesterday as well. And then they could make it harder for option trades to take place. I mean, just everybody knows the call option volume right now has never been higher. And it's it's the, the risk is and, and this is kind of how the structure works very simply. When you buy a call and it's out of the money, the dealer will have to buy a proportion uh, of that those shares. So he hedges himself. If it goes up more, he will have to buy more. And thus it causes what's known as a gamma squeeze, which I've talked about before and everybody's heard about this. And that's what's been happening here. And if let's say the stock starts to drop, that same dealer who has hedged himself and the firm with, uh, with long uh, stock will have to start selling. And that that's a dynamic that um, is, something I think we'll probably see. And we've seen before uh, a few you know, pullbacks that we've had that really just get out of control. I think it was February of, of 18 after that big ramp. Uh, then we had you know, 
Uh, I mean, last year that was really obvious because we did have huge call buying dwarfs. Uh, it doesn't dwarf. I mean, what we have now dwarfs what we had in last February. And there was a huge, you know, gamma sell up and it, it, it was, you know, very painful. Uh, we did have a catalyst then, and I don't know what the catalyst is going to be. Uh, it could be, you know, look, tomorrow the Fed's meeting, uh, you know, Jerome Powell says something about, or if he gets a question about, you know, GameStop, which that's on my bingo card, um, I win if I get that one. It, but he could start to change some language as far as tapering or seeing the risks that are happening right now, because what we have right now is a bubble. This is a bubble. I don't know when it's going to pop. I think it could pop at any moment. And some of the technicals that I'm looking at, as you know, I look at uh, market sentiment. Every poll is off the charts bullish. You go from the the daily sentiment index, which I track, that's been in the extreme zone for a while. The investors' intelligence has been really high. Um, the Citibank panic euphoria has never been higher. It's like infinitely higher than it was in 2000. And that's not an indicator that I typically look at because it doesn't normally get very overbought, but this is just off the charts. So, you know, you got margin interest way up there. And uh, so what else? I, I I look at the mark indicators and we've, we've highlighted, you know, some of the DeMarc indicators that we've seen in the past. Uh, this has been a very, very powerful move. And we saw some in the middle of August, and we that's when we had that pullback for a month or two. And we've had some now. And what's different is not only do we have them on the daily, but we also have on the S&P, we have the daily and weekly triggering together. And when I see both of those in sync, it's not necessarily just a short-term pullback that I'm expecting. It could be a more intermediate-term pullback. Now, it's not going to happen tomorrow, probably, because Microsoft's up 5% after hours. I can see it over on my screen over here. And, you know, they knocked it out. And that's great. Um, we've got Apple tomorrow. We've got uh, Tesla. Uh, I think we're, you know, we've got all the big names coming out, uh, you know, this week and, and next. So it could get through that. And people could celebrate good earnings. Uh, sometimes they they'll sell off on on good earnings, and they're just running out of buyers, and that's exhaustion. Uh, so you know, if if people haven't seen the Jeremy Grantham interview that he did on Bloomberg uh, last week, I highly recommend it because he is a great market historian, and he was talking about something that it really struck me. Um, thinking back to other bubbles, two thousand. 2008, some others, uh, you know, the higher we go in this bubble, the worse the forward returns will be. And that, that that's really a very true statement. And, and we could see stocks plateau and, or peak for maybe a year, maybe longer, uh, despite all the good stuff reopening. But reopening also will probably get the Fed to have to change some language or taper or, you know, make some bigger, bigger changes. And we also have an inflation issue there. So there's a lot of stuff that could derail. I just don't know exactly what it is right now. And it might just be people running out of, you know, buying, you know, exhausting the, themselves. There's the last buyers bought in some things. And 
I think that's a risk for a lot of the newer, newer traders, the newbie traders that are out there. You know, don't go out on margin like a, a fool. Uh, things could change dramatically fast, gap down just as much as these things gap up and you get caught out. So if you've got some profits, uh, keep ringing the register. Congratulations, uh, kudos to you. But uh, we have a whole generation of new short sellers that are soon to be born out of this market peak. Yeah, so much to talk about, so much to unpack there, Tom. Uh, you know, I was just looking out of the corner of my eye here on Microsoft up 17% uh, revenue growth. Uh, Annualized, so this is uh, this is versus uh, this is versus the same quarter, 2020 shows the tech business booming. Uh, a lot of this is attributable to growth in their cloud business. It's a beat on earnings. It's a beat on revenue. Really strong numbers, obviously, out of Microsoft. But I guess you know, listening to the the points that you made, when you see this euphoria, uh, you see the market sentiment, uh, you see all of these things that uh, skew wildly toward optimism. Uh, how do you bet against that as an unwind? I mean, I guess that it's almost like a Lindy curve effect. If things have stayed irrational for as long as they have, uh, if you know this ramp has just continued going and sentiment is so strong, you know, why would you bet against it now? And how do you understand? Because I know this is something that you think a lot about, Tom. How do you understand when that inflection point is likely to come based on the technical signals you see coming from the market? Right. I, I, well, first of all, I use DeMarc indicators, which work pretty well for spotting exhaustion signals. And we have some, um, the S&P Daily has one today. And how we look at that is the rule of thumb is you should see a price reaction within the next 10 to 12 days. If we don't have that, then the trend is exceptionally strong and it will continue and the, the signal fails. And sometimes when the signal fails, it tells a really strong, uh, tells another story of, of just truly how strong this market is. Um, you know, when I see market sentiment at these levels, and I've done this, you know, for a few years now, and I, I, I kind of understand that we're getting to a peak level. So my view is, and I've been saying this um, pretty adamantly on my notes, to take down some risk and take down risk and you know put it in cash it's there's nothing wrong if you've already had some good uh, gains this year put some in cash you you see the signals that are happening right now you see the market sentiment you see what's going on with the speculation in the market that's not what a good place where you want to say you know i'm going to take dad's money and put it all into blackberry and it's either going to be you know, food stamps or a giant yacht. And, you know, that was a Wall Street bets thing that I was sent the other day. And and I thought, oh my God, you know, these people are, they're, they're gambling right now. And markets are not really for gambling. Uh, it can work for some periods of time, but, you know, take down some risk. I have put spreads on uh, the major indices, the spies and cues into February. I'll probably continue to roll those out. And if they work like they did last March, you know, I might see like a, a, a gain of like five X. I have a couple that are, you know, possible if it goes even lower 10 X, if we get to the lower strike on these put spreads. 
uh, you know, I don't recommend buying buying huge amounts of your portfolio in a particular put spread, especially if it's out of the money in a market that's going straight up. But you got to have a hedge there. And that's what I'm accustomed to doing. And that's what I do. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Tom, tell us a little bit about what your positioning was in March and how that trade worked out for you. Well, it didn't start off great because I really started to get very bearish uh, late December. And in January, I, I was really concerned because I was seeing, you know, daily exhaustion signals on the DeMarc stuff. And we had a short term, you know, right after the, the mid January when the market seemed to have a bit of an understanding that there's a virus and it could hit the supply chains in China. And I don't think people quite got that it was coming here as what truly happened. Right. But we did have a we did have a pullback down and then we saw a big negative divergence happen uh, with some of the, the indices uh, versus momentum indicators that we we're looking at into February. And then around February 24th, I believe, is when things really got hairy and people started to realize Things were falling apart. I was, I was set up real short. I had put spreads that I I bought uh, in January. I covered some in February, and then I reloaded uh, in late February uh, for April put spreads, and those worked out great. We got long uh, late uh, late March because just like we have now, tons of upside exhaustions. Now we had them on the downside. Bullish sentiment on the daily sentiment index was at 4% bulls. Anytime a sentiment reading on the daily sentiment index will get under 5 or above 95, I will immediately take a counter position on that because that is just absolutely as is, is, is extreme as it gets. And so, you know, it, it worked out. I honestly, and I've I, did not expect the market to be near 4,000. And I made some nice gains on things, but you know, I'm buying Zillow Group at 25 and I'm selling it at 40 and I'm high-fiving myself. And now here it is at 139. You know, I just want to say, you know, darn, you know, it's, it's family channel, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think that's, said worse. I don't look back on things. I, I say, okay, where am I today? And I made I made a call based on the information that I had at the exact time. And if I looked back and said, well, I wish I didn't do that, you know, I I wouldn't be doing this for as long as I have. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. You talk about that trade, the put spreads uh, in March of last year. You and I were having these conversations back then on this show. Uh, and your point is absolutely spot on. There was this disbelief uh, that the virus that was ravaging uh, China could come here. And, you know, you look back in retrospect and you look back at that and you think, Gosh, how how could we have been so naive? It's it's a virus. It's not like it checks in with customs. Uh, it seems so obvious in retrospect that this could have been uh, a substantial risk, and yet the the positioning was offsides, and it allowed you to take that opportunity to put on that trade. I, it, you know, and and I'll be honest, I I could have been a lot, I I could have been a lot 
more short of on that downturn. And I, I really opted to use more options uh, because I didn't, you know, uh, who knew what was going to happen with a pandemic. And, you know, if you ask people certain times of the year, what do you think is going to happen? And I, I really, I really don't think people would have said, well, you know, in, in February, oh, well, this is going to be a disaster and the country is going to be locked up and there's going to be 400,000 deaths in America. I think people would say, eh, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And then in March, I remember I was doing a, a webinar with, uh, I was with Grant Williams and he was, I did a webinar with uh, my site and I was telling him, I'm like, I'm getting long. I'm getting absolutely long here. And, and I had Teddy Valet and they were all kind of looking at me like, Okay, you know, you know, that's Tom being Tom, you know, the, the contrarian, but uh, it worked out. But I, I, I will say I, I missed the bulk of this move. I, you know, have had energy financials that we had great trades this year um, out of those. And I still want to buy those on dips. I keep getting emails from my, my people every day, like, are they ready to buy? And I'm like, look, it's only down a few days. Let's, you know, let's wait for a real pullback here. And I, I think we'll get it. I think this is a market that's starting to unwind a little bit. And I just wanted to mention something that I look at Elliott Wave analysis. And usually when you talk about Elliott Wave analysis, um, people's eyes glaze over they drink water like you're right now and uh, they just go, oh, my God, this is just a joke. But the personalities in the waves, I think, are really important. So let me just read the wave five, which is what wave we're in right now. And that's the final of five waves up. So wave five, this is from Wikipedia, which I think is spot on and it works really well. Uh, but wave five is the final leg in the direction of the dominant trend. Okay, that could be. The news is almost universally positive and everyone is bullish. I'll put, you know, two Sounds check marks familiar. there. Unfortunately, this is when many average investors finally buy in right before the top. Hmm. It seems like everybody's buying in right now and they're buying one stock and oh, look at GameStop is 18488. It's up 25% after hours. They're buying in even after the market. So volume is often lower than wave three. And I think it's just because, hey, why sell? This market's going up. Um, there's no reason to sell. And the only reason people sell and they how they get motivated to sell is when they start to see uh, performance decline. And we're far from that right now. Uh, we're not seeing it in enough. And I think you're going to have to see maybe a 5% pullback for people to get a little bit nervous. And uh, we're seeing divergences. And today, on my note, I did uh, the S&P 500 with the 10-day moving average, or excuse me, the percent above the 10-day moving average and the percent above the 50-day moving average and the percent above the 200-day moving average. Now, the 200-day, the percent above the 200-day moving average is at 90%. That's super high. That's a very slow-moving type of indicator. And the S&P is 20% higher than the 200-day uh, moving average, but the, excuse me, 15% higher than the 20-day, the 200-day moving average. That's fine. Keep that. And then the 50-day, uh, the S&P is only 4% higher 
And so that's really close to the 50-day right there. Now, we're really close with the 10-day. We're within 1% of the 10-day breaking. And the 50-day the and the 10-day have started to curl over a little bit. So, so that's so the divergence we're watching here. One thing I just want to say on the last thing, the last thing in wave five is at the end of a major bull market, the bears get ridiculed. And I've been ridiculed if I ever get bearish. I know what you're going to say now, Ash, because I just saw it. <laughs> yeah, we just got uh, Jack Farley just beeped in to tell us that uh, Elon Musk is tweeting about game stock. Exclamation <laughs> point. I mean, Elon's out there saying I'm with you. So uh, I'm just peeking over on my other screen here. It's up now. 60%. We were talking like it was up 25%. It's up 60% to 235 now. So maybe they're, you know, we're getting, you know, we're over the large cap, as I said in that first uh, part of this show. <sighs> 243. I mean, it's just lunacy out here. Okay. Congratulations, Wall Street bets. You've got Elon Musk now doing it for you. So this is just pure lunacy. There's another short seller or several that are just that have just been crushed and won't have a very nice evening. I'm not short game stock. I would never short a stock that had well, actually I've shorted Tesla, so I got to take this one out, but I'm not short game stock. Okay. One last thing. Prime brokers. Now, prime brokers are the Goldman Sachs Morgan Stanley's, JP Morgan's, the big brokerage firms, uh, their prime brokerage business is where they are the custodian for the large funds. And they can be, you know, long only funds, they can be mutual funds, they can be hedge funds. And most of the time we talk about it uh, are hedge funds. And they have all sorts of different hedge funds from long short to macro to event driven to quant, whatever. But yesterday, and this is rather significant, and I think it's uh, it goes to to show here. Morgan Stanley, I got this ping to me today from Morgan Stanley. They had the largest day of equity long short single name degrossing on record. And that means basically the shorts are rallying higher. They were taking shorts off. They were covering shorts, and they were also. Uh, yeah, they they were also so that's about sixty percent was degrossing by taking down shorts. That's a huge huge number. And then the other forty percent, they were taking down long exposure as well. So they were taking off a lot of their capital uh, on on their books, at longs and shorts. So I I think that's a rather significant thing. And so that. That's okay. So this is in, in, interesting. To put it into context, the long selling yesterday was the largest since the third week of March. Since the low in the market, we're seeing the largest amount of long selling again here at the highs. And I, I think that was really um, rather telling of what's going on. And I and the short covering. This is the last thing on the prime brokers thing. On Monday was the largest amount they've seen in the past decade. So 
it, it's it's tough out there for these funds and you know the 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 factors the the short factors from Goldman Sachs uh, and Morgan Stanley and Credit Suisse those have outperformed the market um i think we're looking at 30% in the last month for the most short uh with the Goldman Sachs uh, factor with model, which is just a basket of of heavily shorted stocks. Now, the good news is all my stocks that I'm short, you know, the, the shiny object, uh, GME, they're buying those and they're not buying, you know, Lulu and Roku and Peloton, Wayfair went down, Carvana, let's see, what else? PayPal, Square, Lamb Research, you know, so th that's good. We have a, a new shiny object. Um, it's going to go until it stops. Now, newsflash, just since we've been on, you know, five minutes, GME has dropped 43 points to 203. Now it's only up 37%. So he may, maybe Elon said something else or who knows, but somebody's getting hurt out there and somebody hopefully made a boatload of money. Somebody said in my chat room today, the... Somebody was buying this Friday's ex expiration. The stock was at 120. They were buying the 200 calls for $10. And we laughed. And then I said, you know what? You never know. These could work out. And if we're here at 200, those calls are going to be probably, even if it's at 200, it'll probably be quadruple uh, tomorrow. So congratulations to that maniac <laughs> from Wall Street Bets. I mean, this is insane. People, this is not normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just saw it. The top tick that I saw here was it looked like it hit about 50% uh, up in after hours after being up 92.7% in regular trading. Yeah, I, you know, I, I guess I, I, I'm jealous. I wish I just had the, 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 the stones to, you know, get long this thing it, it went on the dip yesterday. I mean, just insane. And I think these people at Wall Street Bets, you better be careful because if they start, you know, keep keep this going here, um, they may get a knock uh, from the SEC. And that, I think, would be the only thing that stops these maniacs, uh, this herd, this mob. And congratulations, guys. Again, this is not normal. Well, or a rule change, right? That's the other. Uh, that's the other aspect. I, I was watching uh, Jim Cramer last night. Um, you know, people often forget Jim Cramer before he was a hedge manager, fund manager. Was a very serious lawyer, Harvard Law School graduate. He did some uh, work for Alan Dershowitz as research assistant at Harvard uh, Law School, and he was saying that he was on the phone with his uh, securities lawyers, and they were saying they don't really see a whole lot that can be done. Uh, it's free speech. Uh, this isn't. Uh, it's it's just the the right that everyone has to go and publish uh, what their thoughts, their opinions. Uh, they're not regulated entities, uh, and so the people who are in Wall Street bets can do and say whatever they like. Now, I guess Reddit could shut them down. Reddit, of course, is a is a corporation yeah. has the ability to do it, but it'll just be a moving feast. It'll go somewhere else. It'll go to Twitter, and if it doesn't work on Twitter, it'll go to Mastodon. It'll just continue to travel. So I don't really see a plausible mechanism for shutting down. Uh, that information flow. By the way, I'm looking at the real time after hours up 51%, 219. Yeah, I have 220 right now. Yeah, two, yeah it's, well, it's flying all over. Yeah, crazy. You know, this is, it's wild. Uh, I, I will say that, that 
you know, the, the problem that's going to happen is is the euphoria and it, it ends. Uh, you, there's it's very rare that you're going to get a float like GME. I think there was it was over. It was said that it was over a hundred percent of the shares were sold short. I saw one hundred and fifty one percent being quoted. Yeah, I I, I question a lot of those. I mean, I, I study short interest, but that's pretty incredible. And you've had. I mean, I have no words to describe this thing. It's just, it's, it's insane, insane. There's nobody in this market that could justify it and say, yeah, it's, it makes complete, you know, logical sense. No, no. But I will say, um, regarding Jim Cramer, we actually worked for the same company at one time, and I, I'm, I've never told anybody this. But when I lived in Los Angeles, I worked for the Herald Examiner. I was a paper boy. Okay, I in the Herald exam. Yeah, this is my first job. I rode on my bicycle, and everybody knows I ride bicycles like a maniac. But I, I, and you know, here I am living in San Fernando Valley in in Los Angeles, and I'm delivering the Herald Examiner. And I did. I took it on because my friend, who now is like runs the film production at Disney, he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I did it. It was great, but I had these maniacs that these. This is the old Wall Street bets type people. The Herald Examiner would come out and was published after the market closed in, in LA, right at the market close, so people could get stock quotes in the afternoon. So I would have all these, you know, these men, you know, in their bathrobes, you know, it's been sitting in their house all day waiting for the paper so they can check the the stock. Uh, prices. There were no computers or anything, but Jim Cramer worked for the Herald Examiner. I think he was like on the, the, like he was a writer and he was on the murder, you know, beat. You know, there was a lot of murders back in the 70s and in LA. And um, so, yeah, we worked at the same place and I've met him before. I've had dinner with him. I think he's a really nice guy. He's a very thoughtful guy. I think he really cares genuinely about investors. I think he wants people to invest. He loves when stocks go apeshit crazy. Oops, sorry. On the upside, uh, they, he loves that. But in the one thing I will say, I don't think he gives enough caution uh, to people on how to, you know, trade these types of moves. You know, get off margin. You know, don't diversify. You know, be smart. Don't be like an idiot. But he's a good guy. I like him. And uh, you know, he told me when we had dinner, he goes, you know, part of my whole thing is. I educate and it's entertainment. I've got to, you know, bye, 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 you know, do all the hit the buttons and do all that. And that's what people want. I will. One last thing. There's a woman in Greenwich. Her husband was a big finance dude and he was the CEO and chairman of a company that, that actually got bought out and it was a defense company. And she would call in to Jim Cramer's show what do you think? She's this, you know, you know, jappy girl. Hey, what do you think of? I'm not going to say the the company. What do you think of that? You know, and Jim would be like, oh, I love it. It's so great. She, she would just pump it. Her husband's company. She would pump. But anyway, that's all all the Jim Cramer stuff I have to talk about. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it is, look, it is fun and it is entertainment. But also we have to remember these are people's lives. These are people's savings. True. Uh, it's 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 good to have fun. 
but also at the same time, you know, this is it's important that people understand the suitability of their individual sensitivity and tolerance to risk. These are very important factors. So, Tom, how do you think? And I know we've run over time here today because this is such a juicy show. There's so much happening in markets. But, Tom, how do you think about position sizing? How do you think about that in terms of uh, your own uh, portfolio? And what are some of the best practices that you follow? I I personally have limits of how much I, I can put into a, a particular idea, whether it's a stock or bond or option or anything or commodity. Uh, I, I tend to start, and this has been a year that I've been, my sizing has been very diverse, uh, or so my um, diversification, my portfolio has been very, very diverse. I've been starting at a 1% position and I can go up to, I can double it. I can go up to 5%. I can even go to 10% if I feel I have something that is, you know, truly working for me. But I think that people should, you know, look beyond one stock um, and one idea and, and have a portfolio. Now, look, this is just a weird time and wild time and people are going to do what they do, but they're going to learn. And hopefully they learn when they have a good deal of this capital that they've been able to siphon off of these trades. So I tend to tell people, look, have a set amount that, that you have. It's a, if it's a 1% position and it's you, you 10% loss against you, it's not going to change your life uh, at all. It's going to just be, okay, I can move on. And you can also have when you have smaller sized positions, you can sleep at night. You can have a wider stop if you truly believe in the idea. And I think that's really important. If you have a smaller position, you're not going to be, you know, holding your mouse like, you know, death grip and say, I got to get out. I got to get out. You're going to be able to say, OK, I've got some time. I, I can maneuver. You can add more if you still feel comfortable with the, the position. And I, I think that's really important. And, it, and that's something you learn over time. And that's something I've learned. It works for my risk tolerance. And other people have different ideas, but it works for me and tends to keep me in the game. I've got a feeling that there are folks out there who are at risk of greater than a one-tenth of one percent drawdown. <laughs> you think? I mean, okay, well, GME is now 213. It's come down a little bit. My God. It's just, it's just wild and crazy times and again people this is not normal uh enjoy it while you have it uh it, there's again there's a huge amount of future short sellers that are gonna start to come online uh, when they start to see stocks going down and wait till the wall street bets people say let's sell let's sell let's sell short and then you're gonna see some real carnage in the market when they say take profits, sell short. I mean, it could it could get out of control. And then you'll probably have the regulators, um, you know, hit them because they're not gonna complain when people are when things are going up. And you know, poor Gabe Plotkin at Melvin Capital, you know, loses thirty percent. They're not gonna cry for the guy. So it's gonna be when the average investor gets beat up. Nobody cries for hedge fund managers. Never. I mean. Nobody. I've never had anybody cry for me. Never. I've cried. <laughs> I can't think I of have, any place better than that to end it. I have cried. <laughs> Actually, I, I'm going to amend that. One quick point. As yeah. we come out of this, what do you think it's important for people to look for? What are some of the early warning signs that they should be looking for to see flashing looking forward? Well, when markets get like this and people are that have no 
no business making you know gobs of money like this that's a sign right there um i think what you're gonna you can look for is just wait till the market you start to see the market break uh the 10-day moving average and the 10-day moving average start to slope down that's a very basic little thing but that's something i'd watch if somebody wants to watch that uh that's gonna be maybe the early warning signal i'll watch um and if we get a big sharp down move and then a continuation over the next couple of days i think that you know, it's going to really test the buy the dip people. And and what's going to happen is we're going to get through these big mega cap earnings and we're going to be in February and we're still locked down and it's boring and it's cold here in the Northeast and it's snowing and it's like, ugh. there's going to be no catalyst at all. And the market could just start to fade. So, you know, be careful, everybody. I think it's, it's a fun time in the market. Your new investors enjoy it. Um, take some profits. Final point, Tom, I know we were talking a little bit offline. We wanted to get this in. You often give us a long idea. You were long cannabis early. Tell us any picks to go long. Zynga. Okay. If we're talking GameStop, Zynga is the handheld GameStop. And it, it, there's seven days to cover. There's 120 million shares short. So Wall Street bets, Zynga, it's $10. Go to it. A lot of information, a lot of years of experience. Tom Thornton, thanks so much for joining us again. All right, Ash. Nice to see you. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.